Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC 277, the rematch, Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes for the undisputed women's bantamweight championship of the world. And it's going down this Saturday night live in Dallas, Texas at the American Airlines Center. And oh, my God, there is so much to discuss here that let's just not even beat around the bush let's just get right down to business so everybody here smash the like button hit the subscribe button and let's do this so main event of the evening for the undisputed bantamweight belt we got the reigning defending undisputed ufc bantamweight champion of the world juliana the venezuelan vixen pena she's 11 and 4 taking on the women's mma goat the former bantamweight champion, the current featherweight champion, Amanda the Lioness Nunes, who is 21 and 5, repping Brazil. And currently, they got it Amanda Nunes minus 275. The comeback on Juliana Pena is plus 235. So, where do we begin with this main event rematch for the title? There's a lot to discuss. So, Oftentimes, when someone has such a reign of dominance, it's easy to put that aura around them and think that they're invincible, think that they can't be touched. And then it's also just as easy to write off the loss and say it was a fluke, say it was an off night, say that, you know, oh, but if they run it back, you know, that's not going to happen again. So there's a lot to address regarding those topics, man. Now, Something we got to say, because there's a trend with long reigning champions when they lose their belt, they tend not to get that belt again, because, I mean, oftentimes you hear these champs talk about how it's a relief when they lose their belt because they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. It's not just about showing up to the gym anymore and going out there and winning fights. It's all the media obligations. Everybody wants a piece of you. Everybody wants you to make appearances at their club, at their at their whatever, do signings, do all these things. And it drains on you. People treat you differently just because you're the champ. When you're on the come up, you know, people will be rooting for you. But once you're the champ, everybody holds you in such high regard. And then once you're not the champ anymore, you know, a lot of people, uh, you, you, you tend not to get those same phone calls anymore. So these long-reigning champions are in an interesting spot. You heard Matt Hughes talk about it when BJ Penn choked him out. He said, man, it was honestly a relief to lose my belt because it was just too, it was too much pressure. It was too much to handle. You look at when Anderson Silva lost his belt, he said the same thing. He felt a big relief on his shoulders. Now, there is a fundamental difference between how these fighters all lost their belts, you know? And we're going to talk about all that. And then we're also going to talk about the history of champions that lost their belt and then what happened in the rematch. So I think one thing we got to mention is, for example, when Anderson Silva lost his belt to Chris Weidman, a lot of people wrote it off as a, as a fluke. And the reason why was because, you know, Anderson Silva, he was clowning around a little bit too much. He was fighting with his hands down. He was pretending to be hurt, you know, and it, and it was just a thing where it's like, oh, well, you know, if they run it back, all he's got to do is make a couple adjustments and then he's going to own Chris Weidman. And that wasn't the case. Unfortunately, there was the 
you know, the terrible leg break. But even prior to that, Anderson had gotten dropped in the rematch uh, against Weidman. You look at the Joanna Janjacek versus Rose Nama Yunus one fight. And what happened in that fight was that Rose Nama Yunus went out there and starched Joanna Janjacek. And, you know, the whole Joanna was doing the whole bit. She was making the excuses saying, oh, it was the weight cut. You know, the weight cut was why I couldn't take a shot that night. So, you know, a lot of people were like, you know what? In this rematch, she's going to have a good weight cut. She's got a new nutritionist. She's dialed in. That ain't going to happen again. So, and then they ended up going five rounds and Rose won anyways. So what's different about those fights was that was different about those fights was that there was still like some room, like some wiggle room in the sense that like, okay, well, if Anderson didn't fight with his hands down, then maybe things would have gone different. If, if, if Joanna had a better wake up, maybe things would have gone different. Well, things didn't go different for either of them, but what's different here in this, in this Amanda Nunes fight is this, and this is what I'm really excited to talk about. So if you look at Amanda Nunes entitled entire, hold on. Someone just messaged me saying I forgot to turn something on. Oh, okay. H how do I turn that super chat on y'all? Y'all know how to do that. Um, anyways, it, it, it's all good. But if you look at the difference here, so throughout Amanda Nunes's entire reign, what happened was she's got this kind of power. I mean, we always used to say Amanda Nunes hits like a man. And these women are just simply incapable of taking these shots. And a lot of the fighters would just be broken before the fights even start. Like you guys remember the famous clip of Megan Anderson walking into the walking into the arena, you know, pale, ghost faced and just looked like she was broken before the fight even started. It was just a, a formality and a foregone conclusion um, that, you know, that she wasn't going to win that fight. And the other thing. So there's that's the one that's one example where people walk into the fight. They're already broken mentally. They feel like they don't have a chance to beat Amanda. The other one is, you know, people were simply not able to eat the shots. Like, for example, with Cyborg. Cyborg tried to stand up to the bully, but Cyborg just couldn't eat the shots. So she got knocked out. You look at Raquel Pennington, who is historically super, super tough. She also wasn't able to take the kind of damage that you need to be able to take, you know, in a fight against someone like Amanda the Lioness Nunes. You look at so th those are examples of people not being able to take the shots required. Then there's the example of someone who's just content to just, just you know, just survive, just, just take the whooping and survive. And that was like Felicia Spencer, right? You know, she, she did enough to survive, but not to win. She was fighting. I don't want to say not to lose because she was definitely losing, but I'm just saying like she was fighting just to survive versus fighting to win, if that makes sense. Right. So the thing that we figured out here in this Pena versus Nunes fight and we actually knew about this back in the Kazangano fight is just that because of the success that Amanda Nunes had since that fight, you know, going on to win two belts and two weight classes, going on to just clear out the division, do the whole bit, right? We kind of forgot about that. We kind of made excuses. We kind of thought maybe she's gotten past that. Maybe she's addressed those mental hurdles. But the reality was that no one stood up to the bully. And the reason I bring this up is because this. If you watch that fight, 
between Nunez and Pena. It starts off and, you know, uh, Nunez gets off on a very nice calf kick, even kind of floors uh, Pena with that calf kick. And I'm thinking to myself, if there's some adjustments that she can make going forward is maybe a, a calf kick approach because with, to beat someone like Juliana Pena, it's not about outwilling her. It's about catching her. You know, the two times she lost, she got caught in submissions. You know, if you get caught, you get caught. It is what it is. So you can catch her or you have to put her out. But to actually go out there and outwill her, that's where this becomes interesting because Juliana Pena stood up to the bully. And the difference between her and Cyborg and Raquel Pennington was Cyborg and Raquel Pennington weren't able to eat the shots required to beat Amanda Nunes. When Pena got cracked, she was undeterred. She was unbothered. And then she gave back shots of her own. So she stood up to the bully. And when she stood up to the bully, you could tell Amanda Nunes was what what's the right word for being shocked? The different what's a different word? Like uh basically she was surprised to a point that someone's able to eat my shots and they're able to fire back and they're undeterred by what you bring to the table. That's the big thing here. So the reason why this is different than Anderson Silva losing his belt where, you know, we can make the excuse. Oh, he was playing around. He had his, he had, he had his fights. He had his hands down. You know, he just got cocky, you know, this and that, or Joanna. Oh, she had a bad weight cut, this and that. The difference here is we learned something about Amanda Nunes, or if you even want to take it a step further, we relearned something about Amanda Nunes because we learned this in the Kat Zingano fight. The only reason that we were able to look past it was because she had won so many fights since then. She had gone on such a big win streak that, you know, we were able to say that, listen, man, you know, she's learned from her mistakes. She She's leveled up her, her, her skills, her techniques. The mind, The mindset's gotten better. But that wasn't the case. The reality is back to what I said. The Cyborgs and the Penningtons weren't able to take the shots required. The Megan Andersons were broken before the fights even started. The Felicia Spencers were more content to survive than to try to win the fight. So what's different about Juliana Pena is that, look, the technique might not be the prettiest. I mean, if we're just going technique for technique, um, then yeah, Amanda Nunes has her covered. If we're just going stats for stats, Amanda Nunes has her covered. But there's intangibles, and that's where the heart comes in. That's where standing up to the bully comes in. And that's what I think is a big theme in this fight because one thing about Juliana Penny, and now that we know she's got this iron jaw, now that we know not just iron jaw, but iron will and determination and the fact that you can hit her with your hardest shot, and if she's still conscious... She's unbothered. She's going to keep trying to truck forward. And those are the kind of things that break a bully. So that's why, listen, you're not going to see me discredit Amanda's legacy because what she's done, I mean, she's put up the best resume of any women's fighter in the history of the sport, period. But the reason why I'm having trouble picking her again is because in this specific matchup, not in other matchups, but in this specific matchup, Juliana Pena is not only going to stand up to the bully, but she's got the hardware to be able to take the shots required. Now, I'm not saying that Amanda Nunes can't win this fight. I mean, Amanda Nunes is in the position she's in for a reason, and there are some tactical adjustments she can make. Go back to those calf kicks because, 
you can be as tough as you want. You eat too many calf kicks and, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be immobilized. You immobilize someone. I don't care how tough they are. They're not going to be able to go out there and, and, and beat you. But the fact is, in that second round, Juliana Pena, it's not, it's not just about that, that quote-unquote choke that wasn't even locked in. It's about the fact that Juliana Pena was standing in the pocket with Amanda and one thing that Floyd Mayweather always talked about, you know, it's one thing to be able to give it, but can you take it too? And when it was time for Amanda Nunes to take it too, she, uh, my buddy made a good comment, Taylor. He said she was bewildered. And that's exactly right. She was broke by the fact that someone wasn't deterred by what she brought to the table. And that's a huge talking point here. Now, I just want to read off the history of what happens when. A long reigning champion loses their belt. So, okay, let's start off from the beginning. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna read all the examples because the the person who dethroned the champion, uh, the the champion that lost the belt doesn't often regain the belt. So, Vitor Belfort defeated Randy Couture. Now, let let's let's put an asterisk on this because if you guys remember. He beat him via 49-second cut to the eyelid. They didn't even really get to fight, right? It, it, it was just kind of, I don't want to call it a fluke because Vitor can injure anybody. But, you know, that's the spot where you're like, okay, let's re- let's see what happens over time. If it, if it was this beating and then the cut got open in the third, fourth round, okay, then you give him the credit for it. And still, you know, considering what Vitor was going through at that time, that was, you know, when he was dealing with the tragedy with his sister, you got to give them the credit. But the reality is it was a 49-second eyelid cut. So when they ran it back, Randy Couture went out there and got his belt back. But you look at these other examples. Tim Sylvia defeated Andre Arlovsky. In the rematch, Tim Sylvia beat him again. When Frankie Edgar dethroned the great BJ Penn, everybody was saying the same shit. Oh, it was a fluke. Oh, BJ Penn got robbed. Oh, this, oh, that. Well, they ran it back, and Frankie Edgar beat him even more decisively the second time you look at another example benson henderson defeated frankie edgar the first time remember when he up kicked him right in japan and then the next time now the next time was a bit closer a lot of people actually thought frankie got robbed but the reality is the guy who won the first time you know went on to you know the the long-reigning champion didn't get his belt back more examples um weidman and silva like we just talked about we were making all we were we were making uh the excuses that you know uh, Anderson was was fighting with his hands down was doing all these things was cocky well they run they ran it back and you can call the the leg injury a fluke all you want which it was very unfortunate however prior to the leg injury um uh, Weidman dropped Anderson Silva so he was on his way to winning that fight you look at Max Holloway versus Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo was the long-reigning champ. Max Holloway put it on him. They had the rematch. Max Holloway put it on him even worse the second time. Rose versus Joanna Janjacek. Rose went out there, starched Joanna Janjacek in the first round. People were saying, oh, it was the weight cut. It was this. It was that. Well, now now Joanna's got the new nutritionist. She's going to do better. And Rose beat her over a five-round duration. You look at TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt. Now, Cody Garbrandt wasn't a long-reigning champ, but... um, but uh, 
when he beat Dominic Cruz, a lot of people were saying that that was one of the best performances in UFC history. So when TJ Dillashaw went out there and defeated Cody Garbrandt, Cody Garbrandt actually had a little success in the first round. If you remember, Cody Garbrandt dropped TJ Dillashaw at the end of the first round. And um, we were thinking that TJ was done. Well, TJ went back to win that fight. But then in the rematch, TJ beat him even more decisively. You look at Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. Max Holloway was the long-reigning champion. When it was Volk's time to come in, I mean, the first and third fights were pretty decisive. Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier. Um, so I know the first time that Daniel Cormier uh, stopped him, but this is an occasion where we had a trilogy. Stipe got his belt back the second time, you know, via fourth-round TKO. Y'all remember the adjustments with the body shots? And then the, the following time in the trilogy, beat him decisively over the five-round duration. Another example, Rose Nama Yunus versus uh, Zhang Wiley. Zhang Wiley was looking like she was about to be, you know, the next long reigning champion of that division. First time they fight, Rose Nama Yunus goes out there and starches her. So a lot of us were thinking like, you know, again, oh, maybe it was a fluke, maybe this. And and, and now for the rematch, uh, Wiley Zhang's at a uh, fight ready. And although Wiley Zhang performed admirably in the rematch and definitely looked better, and a lot of people thought she might have even won, the facts are the long-reigning champion didn't regain her belt. And then last but not least, back, back to the first example where we talked about the Vitor and, and Kotor, one guy who did get his belt back was Davison Figueredo over Brandon Moreno. And I just think in that, that's a case where those two are so evenly matched that it could be a different outcome every time. Just take, take who the underdog is. So the point I'm trying to make is the long reigning champions, you know, we have a, what, uh, 13 fight sample size and it's 11 and two and rematches for the new champion to defend their belt the second time. In, in in the immediate rematch so juliana's got, got that going in her favor but i think the most important thing here is the dynamic of standing up to the bully that's what this fight comes down to in my mind because I, I i can keep uh repeating myself here amanda nunez has juliana pena covered in literally every area statistically speaking i think athleticism um Whatever you want to say, power, this, that, it's just that, once again, Cyborg and 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 Pennington couldn't take the shots required. Felipe, um, Megan Anderson, you saw the ghost face walk into the arena, was already broken before the fight even started. Felicia Spencer is just content to, to survive instead of try to win. Whereas when you actually stand up to the bully and you're able to take the shots required against the bully, that's where Amanda breaks. And it's not a one-time thing. Go back to the Kazingano fight. We just never saw anybody stand up to her since that fight. And the first time that someone did, like, guys, it'd be one thing if it was a locked-in Mata Leon rear naked choke, hooks in and everything. And, you know, then, then it's like, okay, you know, no big deal. Live to fight another day. But... Just because Amanda has the, you know, the notability, the name in the sport that she has, people don't want to say that, you know, that she quit in that fight. But listen, I'm not the one that's getting in there. I'm not an MMA fighter, but as a jujitsu practitioner, as a purple belt in jujitsu, I'm not a black belt, but as a purple belt, I can just say that, listen, man. 
That shit was not locked in at all, period. That was someone looking for a way out. That was someone bewildered by the fact that you stood up to me. Like, you ate my hardest shots. You were still there trying to win. And uh, Phila brought up a good point. He said Valentina stood up to her twice. Yeah, but let, let's, let, let's, let's put some context in those fights. Let's talk about the two Valentina fights. First Valentina fight, Amanda Nunes was able to secure the takedowns in the first two rounds, neutralize her. What happened in that third round of the first Valentina fight? Amanda gassed and broke again, and Valentina had a big third round, but that was a three-round fight. They didn't have the fourth and fifth rounds for Valentina to truly take over and seal the deal. And then in the next fight, a lot, a lot of people thought that Valentina might have got robbed, but the bottom line was that Amanda Nunes made a very nice tactical adjustment and kind of stalled out in that fifth round and, 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 and took it there. But this is different. And the reason this is different is that Amanda Nunes, uh, excuse me, Valentina Shevchenko kind of stands on the outside, kind of points a little bit, whereas, and she's obviously got way better technique than Juliana Pena, but Juliana Pena is just kind of like that gritty dog that gets dirty. Like the technique might not look the prettiest, but she's got an iron jaw and she's willing to go toe-to-toe in the fire with Amanda Nunes, which is something that Valentina doesn't do. Valentina stays on the outside and tries to pick people apart and tries to keep it clean, but Juliana Pena needs to make this a dirty fight and stand up to the bully, and that's where I think she has the edge here. And then we can talk about how Amanda Nunes left ATT and how, you know, both of them are mothers, so I hear a lot of people talking about how Amanda's a mother, so she's distracted. Juliana's a mother, too, but um, I just think that when, again, back to the long-reigning, uh, champ talk like once they lose their belt it's a relief like i don't think she has that same hunger to go back out there and, and recapture this gold and not to mention that she's talking about coaching now she left the gym that brought her up and she's training in some garage with who knows who so i i just don't like what i'm seeing from amanda and i know what i'm gonna get from juliana so look is there a chance that you know Amanda Nunes can come out here, immobilize her with calf kicks, maybe catch her in a submission because the times that Juliana lost, you know, the fights were were close fights. But when you get caught in a submission, that's not about breaking. That's about you got caught. You can't get out. It is what it is. But Amanda did not get caught in a submission. That wasn't even a locked in submission. That was literally looking for a way out of a fight because someone uh, stood up to the bully. So. The first time around, full disclosure, I took Amanda Nunes at stupid-ass odds and parlayed her just thinking, you know, falling into the same trap that, oh, she can't be touched by any of these ladies. She's on a different level with Juliana Pena's, you know, style that doesn't look the prettiest, but it's effective and it's mean. I just thought that the shots that Amanda was going to land were going to either knock her out or just damage her badly to where she wasn't going to be able to stand up to the bully. And boy, was I wrong because in that second round, she was going toe to toe with Amanda Nunes. She was cracking her hard. And when, when Juliana ate the shots, she bit down on her mouthpiece. When Amanda ate the shots, she had to look at concern. And when it was time to look for a way out, that's exactly what she did. So again, 
you know, when I talk like this, someone's going to be like, oh, I'd like to see you go three rounds with Amanda Nunes. It's like, dude, like, I ain't saying nothing about all that. I ain't trying to get into a fight with nobody, man. I'm just going to put on my uh, my gi and go train in class. But but I understand what I was watching there. And what I was watching there was someone that had the fight inside of them taken out of them because Juliana Pena stood up to the bully. And I think she's going to stand up to the bully again. Look, obviously, with Amanda's skill level, there's adjustments she can make. And, yes, there's a chance she can win this fight 100%. But I'm a, I'm totally cool admitting how wrong i was the first time because again i fell into that trap just like i fell into the trap with Joanna and jacek when she fought rose the first time that oh she's untouchable none of these girls are on her level she's, she's gonna retire you know as the champ this and that but it's okay to realize you're wrong it's okay to learn from your mistakes and it's okay to come back the second time and make that adjustment and the second time in the joanna and rose fight i made that adjustment and i took rose nama Yunus at the dog eyes and cashed so this time i'm taking juliana pena i only put one unit on it um i think i got it plus 245 i believe it, it's tracked on my, on my page and um yeah i think that she's got the goods to come out here and stand up to the bully you know, as long as she's not badly immobilized by calf kicks, as calf kicks, as long as she's not neutralized, as long as she's not, you know, I don't think she's gonna be badly compromised. We saw her chin, and you know, as long as uh, she doesn't get caught with an opportunistic submission, I think that uh, she's got what it takes to come out here. And you know, just just again, how many times am I gonna say stand up to the bully? But that's really what this comes down to. The Weidman and Silva fights wasn't about standing up to the bully. The Joanna and Rose fights weren't about standing up to the bullies. That was just simply a case of, you know, it was that new generation coming up. I don't consider Juliana Pena the new generation. Also, I don't think Juliana Pena is going to keep the belt that long. I think there's other matchups that are going to give her a lot of trouble. It's just with these two ladies specifically, there's the mental dynamic that to beat Amanda Nunes, you have to be undeterred. You have to be unbothered. You have to be unfazed by the firepower coming back at you. And when it's your turn to land your shots, you make them count, especially if you're still standing there. Cyborg tried her best to stand up to the bully, but Cyborg wasn't able to take the shots required to do so. Juliana Pena is able to take the shots to do so, does not get discouraged, does not get deterred. The time she's lost in the octagon, she got caught. Can she get caught here? Yes, possibly. But if we're just talking will for will, heart for heart, um, <laughs> someone left me a comment. He said, you seem like an 100 a unit type guy. I hope uh, you're a 10 unit guy, $10 unit guy like Clint. Uh, whoever told you 100, dog, like, uh, you know, we built this studio off. Uh, uh, I, 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 I ain't going to talk about my money, dog, but just know uh, we out here, uh, you know, this shit wasn't cheap, bro. So don't don't even try me on that. And if you ever come out with me, you'll you'll see you'll see how we get down here, especially where I'm from in Atlanta. But back to this, because uh, I'm getting uh, I'm I'm getting a little uh, carry uh, you know carried away because like I love like interacting with y'all. I love reading the comments y'all give me and all the support. So thank y'all very much. So I took a one unit shot on juliana pena and someone said dan's a multi-billionaire nice try nah not not yet maybe one day but not yet but uh just know just know we we ain't we ain't struggling out here just know that much um but yeah i think she's i think as soon as this fight gets tough that's where 
Juliana Pena can take over. I mean, you can't just write off tapping out to something that wasn't locked in. Amanda Nunes is a black belt. It's It wasn't even like the choke was there. It was more so she was bewildered. She was broken. She was like, wow, like someone actually stood up to me. And she did not like that. And she looked for a way out. And I, I see something similar happening. Maybe not a, a choke that's not locked in. Maybe that's, this time it's ground and pound from full mount. Who knows what it is. But I've seen Juliana Pena stand in the pocket with Amanda Nunes and hurt her. I've seen her body lock, take her down, and make her uh, tap out to something that's not locked in. So I think that Juliana Pena has got the hunger and the dog inside of her that's required to stand up to the bully. And I think she comes out here and defends her belt. So I'm going Juliana Pena and still. And again, never be afraid to learn from your mistakes because I know people are going to say stuff like, well, if you bet uh, Amanda at these big uh, these big favorite odds the first time, then how come you're not going to bet her with, with, a, with a price cut? And like, I get your point, but the thing is we learned something in that fight or we relearn for some of us that have been watching a long time back to the Kat Zingano fight. No one had ever stood up to Amanda Nunes before throughout this whole reign. And the people that did stand up to her just simply couldn't take the shots. Well, Juliana Pena can stand up to her and she can take the shots. That's what I think the difference is here. So as long as Juliana Pena doesn't get caught with something opportunistic or isn't badly immobilized or neutralized, I think that as soon as this fight gets tough, that's where it swings into Juliana's uh, favor. It's only a one-unit shot. You know, I, I didn't put you know a big bet on it. Uh, just one unit because I like the odds, and, and, and let's see what happens. So I'm going Juliana Pena to defeat Amanda Nunes and, and still the Bantamweight champion of the world. All right. I spent 30 minutes on that main event, and rightfully so. So y'all do me a favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Y'all got any questions for me, y'all let me know. And now let's move on to another rematch, co-main event of the evening. We got... For the interim flyweight title, we got Brandon Moreno, the former flyweight champion. He's 19 and 6 and 2, representing Mexico, taking on Kai Kara France, who's 24 and 9, representing New Zealand. So, for a lot of y'all that don't know, these two have actually fought before. Let's see what the stats said on their first fight because it was it was a pretty decent fight. Um so basically, the first time that these guys fought, Brandon Moreno, you know, slightly outstruck, uh, slightly outstruck Kai Kara France on the numbers over a three round duration, um, and the judges' scorecards were a one thirty twenty seven by Mark Smith, a twenty nine twenty eight by Chris Lee, and a twenty nine twenty eight by Junichiro Camillo. So I think the round that Moreno won was the, uh, excuse me, that Kaikara France won was that first round. Here's my thing with Kaikara France. He's definitely been leveling up 100%. And fighting at, out of a uh, city kickboxing, one thing I like about that, about that team that I've been talking about for a long time is their fainting game. Their fainting game is so on point that, I mean, they just got guys guessing all all they 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 got guys mesmerized as to what's going to come they never know what's he going to throw this time you know so that's something i like about them but with this guy brandon moreno 
man, when I saw him beat Juicy at Formiga, I thought to myself, man, this guy could this guy could potentially be a UFC world champion. Just the performance he had and to have the story this guy had to get cut from the UFC, to work his way back up in LFA, to come back and become a champion. Um, you know, have the amazing trilogy with Davison, Dice Dugea, Figueredo. Amazing fight. So amazing trilogy. So Brandon Moreno's got all my all 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 the respect in the world for me. So what's interesting here is what kind of adjustments are we expecting from Kaikara France? Because here's my thing with Kaikara France. We know his game, amazing feints, calf kicks, but it's always to set up that big overhand right. He's got a nasty overhand right. And with that right, when he rocks people with that, that's when he's able to open up on his combinations and his takedown defense has been getting significantly better. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Kaikara France that went in there against Askar Askarov, who a lot of people might consider to be the best wrestler or one of the best wrestlers in the flyweight division. And listen to this, guys. Askar Askarov went two for 14 on takedowns. That means that Kaikara France stuffed 12 takedowns in that fight. That's a big step in the right direction because my issue with Kaikara France is that sometimes when fights got tougher when fights hit those deep waters that that's when he would kind of not not check out to the nunez level to a choke that's not locked in but that's maybe where the max effort wasn't quite there to bite down on that mouthpiece and you know go that extra mile to to, to win the fight down the stretch that, that was kind of my issue with him and i'm not just talking about recent fights I mean, I'm talking about even back on the Ultimate Fighter when he fought Pantoja. A lot of y'all don't know Pantoja, who's fighting on this card, has wins over Brandon Moreno and Kaikara France. Beat both of them on the Ultimate Fighter and then beat Brandon Moreno subsequently in the UFC. So with Kara France, now we got to mention that Brandon Moreno did get dropped a few times that last fight against Davison Figueredo, three times to be exact. But we also must mention that Davison Figueredo is arguably the the hardest hitter in the the flyweight division. So, and we got to take it a step further, the recoverability of Brandon Moreno. You know, you know, you know my Mexicans are are known for those iron jaws and man, he uh he recovered nicely, wasn't able to win that fight against the champ, but this fight's different. Um so it's just about what kind of adjustments are we looking at? from from Kaikara France and then on the other side of things there's always that talk about you know when a champion loses their belt how much of a big letdown is is that for them like uh how up are they for this well he, he's got a chance here to win another belt against the guy he's already beat and when he beat him as far as I'm concerned I know the numbers say it was a little bit close but as, as far as I'm concerned man I thought that Brandon Moreno beat him you know, I, I didn't think there was any controversy there. I, I thought, I look, he thought he won all three rounds, but for sure the second and third. And that's back to my point that as the fights get extended, and I'm talking about these tough fights, not when someone's shooting a takedown from a mile away and, you know, you're not getting hit. You're not in a fight with a true Mexican warrior who's going to bite down on that mouthpiece, go, go tooth and nail. They're going to go eyeball to eyeball until someone blinks, you know. So back to my you know, historic criticism of Kaikar France, it's always just been when the fights get tough. And one thing about Brandon Moreno, you never got to question. And again, I'm not questioning the heart of Kaikar France. This is not 
Nunes tapping out to a choke that's not locked in talk. This is just more so, historically speaking, he can kind of take his foot off the gas as the fights get increasingly tougher. I mean, you even saw that in a fight he won against Paiva. You know, if that fight wasn't in New Zealand, there's a chance Paiva might have won that fight, right? If y'all remember. So I think that Brandon Moreno, you know, assuming that he's just as motivated, assuming that losing the belt wasn't such a demoralizing event in his life that I think he's got what it takes to come out here and and, and just kind of beat Kaikara France down the stretch. Just be just be the tougher man. Just uh you know show that Mexican heart, show that Mexican spirit, show that he wants that fourth fight with Davis and Dice Dugea. But for Kaikara France, they call him don't blink for a reason. He could be losing an entire round and one knockdown sways the round to his favor. So and not to mention when you beat someone the way that Brandon Moreno beat him the first time and you're giving someone an opportunity to come beat you again, like, you know, it's really up to Kai Car France to make these adjustments and he's got nothing to lose here, man. I mean, obviously there's a title, there's a title shot on the line, so he does have something to lose here, but I'm just saying he's expected to lose. He's the underdog here. And you see a number like that on the number three guy on planet earth. I, I, I understand why people would think that, look, a couple adjustments, you come out here, you might be able to at least make this close enough to where there's value on that plus 170 on Kai France. But for me personally, I think that Moreno, if we're getting the same Moreno we've been getting these last few fights, including the one he lost to, to Figueredo, I think that he shows that Mexican heart, that Mexican warrior spirit. And, and I think that down the stretch is where he kind of pulls away. And, and, and it's just tougher in these exchanges. It's just you know, fighting with more balls, more heart. Um, but make no mistake about it. Kai Car France has leveled up tremendously. He's a guy that said never said no to any challenge. And you looked at the takedown defense that last fight. You stuffed 12 takedowns against a Russian like Askarov. I mean, that's that's a statement in itself. So kids got nothing to lose. Uh, you know, I say that not tongue in cheek because he does have something to lose, because you know, there's you know, we're talking six figures on the line. That's a lot to lose, right? So, but but I'm just saying that he might be flying under the radar. I still do lean Moreno here to win this fight because I've seen them fight before, and I didn't I didn't think it was it, it was so you know close that you know the line wasn't justified. If you if you catch my drift, it's just about where's Brandon Moreno at right now. Now, I'm not implying anything about a decline. I mean, he looked great his last fight despite the loss. More so about is he still getting up for this? Is he discouraged that he just went on those big Mexican media tours with his with the belt around his shoulder and then loses it one fight later? And he's also changing his surroundings. You know, training with James Kraus now, which is a great thing. Kraus is an amazing coach, but you know, prior to that. Um, you know, he was with his own people, the people that brought him up, the people that took him to the belt. So what happens there? So I'm going to lean Brandon Moreno to become the interim uh, flyweight champion. But I, w- I wouldn't count out a guy like uh, Kai Car France, you know, especially with the improvements he's making, which are very clear. Considering the regard I used to hold him in, you know, to make it to number three in the world, it's uh, it is pretty awesome. So. Much respect to both guys. I'm, I'm going to go with Brandon Moreno. Michael said, got caught in a meeting, won't catch it live. It's all good, bro. The replay will be up shortly. And yeah, you know, come back and watch it later, man. We'll be here. All right. So before I talk about the feature bout between Derek Lewis and Sergey Pavlovich, everybody smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. 
And if y'all got any questions for me before I get into this featured bout, I'd love to answer them. Um, if you already asked me a question, I didn't get to it. Ask it again because there's been a lot of comments in here and I have to scroll up and do the whole bit. So y'all just uh, a- ask anything else you want to ask me right now. If not, save it to the end of the show. And uh, let's get down to Sergey Pavlovich versus Derek the Black Beast Lewis. So, <clears throat> by the way, that's the proper way to cough. Do not cough covering your mouth like this. You cough like this. You know, you do a dab when you cough. Just trust me, because if you cough like this, and then you're going to go shake someone's hand, you know, listen, I don't know the science behind it, but that, that's just how we were brought up. So for those that don't know, do that, and then wash your hands anyways. Featured bout in the heavyweight division. We got Derek the Black Beast Lewis. He's 28. Six and nine, representing the United States of America, taking on Sergey Pavlovich, who's 15 and one, representing Russia, Russia. Currently, they got it. Sergey Pavlovich, minus 135. The comeback on Derek the Black Beast Lewis is plus 115. So I, I already did I already uh did my job. I bet on Sergey Pavlovich one unit at plus one hundred. Now, if I want to, I can bet on Derek Lewis now plus 115 and either break even or get slight profit on Derek Lewis. But you know, I'm not about to do that. I'm going to ride with my guy. I mean, I say my guy, just, just my dog in this spot is what I mean. Cause I'm a big Derek Lewis fan. Now, Derek Lewis, the heavyweight knockout King, not, not Francis Ngannou. It's Derek Lewis, who by the way, has a win over Francis Ngannou has a win over Volkov has there's a lot of misconceptions about Derek Lewis because the way he fights is really interesting. Like he'll be getting taken down in fights and losing rounds and then just come back and knock guys into the fifth row. And honestly, his record when fights go to decision is pretty good. I think it's either four and oh or four and one in the UFC. So that's that's pretty admirable considering his style. The thing about the Black Beast is like you'll kind of not do much, not do much, chill, chill, chill. But when he, when he goes off on that Black Beast blitz, bodies tend to hit the floor, and it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, the guys I've seen him knock out, the Alexander Volkovs, there's been so many to name, man. I mean, like, let, let me pull up uh, Derek Lewis's resume real quick. It's it's too bad he never got to fight Alistair Overeem. I've always wanted to see Derek Lewis versus Alistair Overeem. The Chris Dawkins fight, the Curtis Blades fight. I mean, the the Alexei Olenek fight, the Marcin Tybura fight, Alexander Volkov. Like he's knocked out everybody. And here it's just a case where, you know, the Black Beast is thirty-seven years old. He's getting up there in age. Now with heavyweights, that's not as big of a deal because heavyweights. I've seen guys in their forties win the belt before, so it's not as big of a deal. You know, whether we're talking about Randy Couture. I think uh, Fabricio Vaikavala Wardoom won the belt like what late late thirties, early forties, something like that. So like in heavyweight, it's not that big of a deal. It's just more so where he's at mentally. And the reason I bring that up is because you know he lost his title shot back in the day against DC, but he but he picked himself back up, made it to another title shot, but had a very demoralizing loss to Cyril Gan. Bounces back against Chris Dawkins, who I respect and I think is fun to watch. But, you know, let's be honest. Chris Dawkins is a former 205, right? Against Tai Tuivasa. You know, they got into a nice little swang and bang war. But when it was Tai Tuivasa's 
uh, uh, turn to land his shots. I mean, boy, did he did he uh, he face planted Lewis and how many more of these, you know, type of back and forth brawls where now he's taking this kind of damage like. How many more can, of these can he take? Like, is he still into this shit? And he's had a lot of back problems. There's been a lot of injuries plaguing him throughout his career. My boy Kyrick said, Gon gave Lewis a tour of the octagon. He, he did, and it was in Texas. This fight's in Texas as well. Um, <laughs> Big Mark brought up a good point. He said, the resume is nasty on the beast. Definitely is. He said, this feels like every Lewis fight. He saves his gas till it's time to go full ham in the third. Yeah, I mean, I could see that as well. So with Sergey Pavlovich, you know, I think it's a case where we're dealing with kind of a young up-and-coming heavyweight who, you know, is six foot three. He's got the 84-inch reach. It's not oftentimes you see someone with a five-inch reach advantage over uh, Derek Lewis. And what I like about him is that he's very high output and he flows his punches to his kicks very nicely. You know, it, it's just a thing where, you know, obviously that USC debut against Alistair Overeem didn't go his way. But I think when you're dealing with someone who's born in 1992, a few years back, and he was just a kid. He's been looking up to Alistair Overeem. No one's exempt from that first UFCL. It was what it was. But the way he's rebounded, I mean, I know the competition might not be the stiffest, but look how he handled these guys. He handled them very, very accordingly. And this is a logical step up in, in competition. So, yeah, can I see a spot where, you know, Sergey's winning the whole fight and then one Black Bees blitz gets him out of there? Of course. And and I know the risks. That's why it's only a one-unit bet for me on, on Sergey Pavlovich because I, I know what I'm up against here. I'm up against the greatest knockout uh, artist in heavyweight history. We're dealing with a guy that beat francis despite how boring the fight was he found a way to get a win against francis francis respected his power the guy that beat volkov a guy that's beat uh, just the who's who in that division and has been at the top for a very long time it's just that you know sometimes lewis comes in there and and doesn't quite show up sometimes and and i hate saying that because it discredits the opponent but like you look at the mark hunt fight and, you know, he's he had the back issues. He's bending over. You know, his hands are on his knees. Like, you just can't be doing shit like that. So I think if Pavlovich uh, plays it smart, I think he's able to either get a knockout of his own or outpoint uh, Der uh, Derek Lewis. It's just that what happens if Lewis is able to get off on his bombs? This is heavyweight MMA. We've seen Pavlovich get knocked out before. So that's, that's the risk I'm taking here, right? That I fully acknowledge that. Lewis can come out here and knock out Pavlovich. I understand. But I love the output from Pavlovich. I like the momentum. I like the confidence. I like the size. I like the youth. And then if we want to put tinfoil hats on, we can talk about Derek Lewis and, and fighting in Texas. But, you know, I, I kind of, whatever, you know, just because he's lost in Texas doesn't mean he can't win in Texas. So to me, I, I don't really give a shit about that. More so just looking at where they're at in their careers. So, and I got dog money on it. So let, let, let's see what happens here. I beat the line. I did my job. Now I need Pavlovich to go out there and perform. So let's see. Let's see what happens. You know, I, like I said, I fully acknowledge that there's a chance he takes a canvas nap in this fight, you know, like many of Black Beast victims. But I think uh, Pavlovich might be coming in here. I think, I think he might have a little something, something for Derek Lewis here. So let's see. Let's see. Now, next up on the main card, we got a flyweight matchup between Alexandre Pantoja 
Is it Pantoja or Pantoja? I know for us Americans it's Pantoja, but over in Brazil is it Pantoja? Let us know. He's 24 and 5, representing Brazil, taking on Alex Perez, who's 24 and 6. Wow. So Alex Perez has more pro fights than Pantoja. Only by one, but you know, I didn't expect that. You think of Pantoja usually as the as the seasoned vet. So currently they got it. Alexandre Pantoja minus 185. The comeback on Alex Perez is plus 160. So here's my issue. I missed the line. You know, I like Pantoja at minus 150, but I missed the line. And when you miss the line, there's no point in forcing bets. One of the most important things about, you know, betting on just not just this sport, but any sport in general, you know, obviously, you know, the money management, the discipline, this and that, but getting the best of the line. If you miss the line, it's okay to pass. You know, last week, you know, I, I wanted to bet Tom Aspinall like plus 120, plus 100, but then it ended up being minus 150. So I wasn't about to go force a bet on minus 150 and it turned out to be a good pass, you know, because you saw how the fight went, fluke or not. I mean, it just, when you miss the line, don't force a bet. Get the best of the line as often as you can. So back to Pantoja and Alex Perez. So I think Pantoja is extremely underrated and extremely talented i think that this is a guy that on the ultimate fighter he beat brandon moreno and kai car france the two guys fighting for the interim title in the co-main event in the ufc i mean he's gone out there and beat the shit out of brandon moreno the manel cap fight uh man like you know he welcomed manel cap to the ufc and i think manel cap's got big things coming for him the Brandon Roy Vall fight had to deal with Brandon Roy Vall's hectic pace and then was able to turn things around and submit him. Even the Davison Figueredo fight, I know he lost 30 27 on all three judges' scorecards, but the fact of the matter is that he was able to go three rounds with him and, you know, overcome some bad spots and push the pace and, and really bring it to Davison Figueredo in that fight. You know, went out there and knocked out Matt Schnell in the first round. So. Pantoja brings a lot to the table. Um, with Alex Perez, I think he's got a lot of tools. You know, he's got heavy hands. He's got great calf kicks. The wrestling background, of course. Some slick submissions. I've just always kind of been iffy about Alex Perez because I've always felt like it was like when he's in the driver's seat, you know, when he can bully these guys, that's when he has his most success. But when people stand up to him, kind of like we were talking about with Nunes, that's when I kind of draw the line. and. You saw that in the Joseph Benavides fight. You saw that in the Figueredo fight. You can talk about grabbing the fence all you want. Okay, grab the fence. Well, the fight's still continuing. And what happened when it was uh, Davison's turn to get off on some offense? Y'all saw. So, you know, I, I, I question certain things about, you know, it is Perez truly a top five guy. The reason is because he beat Formiga. But, but the time when he beat Formiga, now, it was a great performance. The cat, I mean, to immobilize a guy like Formiga with calf kicks, a guy who was a former Nova Winyao fighter, they're known for their leg kicks. Beautiful job. But I think that Formiga had already taken so many beatings up to that point that we weren't dealing with the prime version of him. So it was kind of just like, you know, feasting on the carcass, you know, getting the remains, this and that. So with Pantoja, here's my only issue with him I love everything about him. 
I love the guy's a boss. I love how mean he is. He's got knockout power. His jujitsu game is top notch. He's truly a top five guy in the division. My only issue with Pantoja is from time to time, he will get out hustled by guys that push the pace with the wrestling. And that's the only thing I don't want here. You know, Alex Perez can wrestle. Aside from that, though, I think that Pantoja is going to submit this guy, actually. I think that he's going to come in here. I think they're going to bang for a little bit. I think that Alex Perez takes a sloppy shot. I think he gets caught with something. So I'm going to go with Pantoja to come out here, keep his top five spot, and possibly talk about rematching two guys he already beat in Brandon Moreno and uh, Kai Kara France, you know, after their co- after their co-main event uh, scrap. So Pantoja is my pick, but I missed the line by 30 cents, so I'm not about to sit here and force a bet. All right, let's see what else we got on the main card. Now, next up in the 205-pound division, kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between Magomed and Khalif. He's 17-1, and taking on Anthony Lionheart-Smith, who's 36-16. and and currently, they got it. Magomed and Khalif minus 550. The comeback on Anthony Smith is plus 425. So I think this fight comes, this fight is pretty cut and dry with me as far as I'm concerned. So a lot of people say that Ankhalif is boring. And I get why, because the last few fights have been boring. But we can't just say it's boring because of him. There's a reason the fights have been boring. The, the reason the fights have been boring is because no one's taking any risks against Ankhalif. And if you don't take risks against him, He's not going to take risks against you where, uh, you know, he needs his openings. Like you watch his second fight with Kutalaba. Kutalaba went right after him. You go right after him and uh, chances are you're hitting the deck. You look at the first round with the Volcan fight. Volcan, you know, try to bring it to him. Volcan got floored that first round. But some of these other fights like Tiago Majeta Santos, Tiago Majeta Santos, despite dropping ankle leave in that second round, wasn't really going for it. And, Ankalev isn't the kind of guy to take unnecessary risks and leave himself vulnerable to big shots, even though he got dropped that fight. He's a guy that he's a counter guy. Um, I mean, we know his tools. We know that right high kick. We know how sharp his hands are. We know he can mix and take downs. Like we know Ankalev's a beast. It's just this fight comes down to Anthony Smith's approach. If Anthony Smith is just content to, you know, play it safe and just, you know, you know, fight to survive versus fighting to win, that's going to be another boring decision. If Anthony Smith bites down on that mouthpiece and makes ankle leave fight, well, that's where we're going to get an exciting fight. That's where we might get a finish on either side. So to me, I just wish I knew Anthony Smith's approach coming into it because those are the two outcomes I see. I see either Anthony Smith just kind of being content to survive, you know, a three-round decision and just kind of, get slightly outpointed and this and that that's a possibility but if anthony smith is serious about he wants to make another run for a title and do all these things well you got to go after ankle leave because that's when ankle leave lets things go otherwise ankle leave is just going to sit back and counter and you know he's going to sit back and counter regardless but i'm saying if you kind of don't do much and don't push the pace and are just content to to just sit back and, and, and talk about that one time you were in the ring with the with the scary Russian, you're not going to win. 
So it's really up to Smith to let, let's see what Smith brings to the table. If Smith is aggressive, then there's a chance this is an exciting fight. But if Smith is just content to survive, you know, to fight, um, fight not to lose versus fighting to win, then it's going to be another boring anchor leave decision. So I'm going to pick anchor leave to win. It's just two possible outcomes. Is, is Smith going to come out here and really push that pace and really take it to the kid? Because if he does, then we might see a great fight. But if not, then he's just going to sit back and, and, and get pieced apart for, for three straight rounds. So, yeah, I'm going to go ankle leave to win this fight. I don't think there's any surprises there. Now, before we talk about these prelims, y'all do me a huge favor and smash that like button, hit that subscribe button. And if y'all got any questions for me, I'd love to answer them. Um, and we could always do the Q&A at the end of the show. But if you'd like to, now that we got past the main card and it's time to move on to these prelims, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm down for whatever. So y'all let me know. And I sincerely appreciate all y'all being in here with me. Um, my boy Dominic made it just in time. He said, smash the like button. I, I wholeheartedly agree with him. So do what he says, smash the like button. Okay. Main event of the prelims in the lightweight division. We got Drew Dober. He's 24 and 11, taking on Rafael Alves, who was 20 and 10, representing Brazil. Currently, they got it. Hold on one second. Currently, they got it. Uh, Drew Dober minus one ninety. The comeback on Rafael Alves is plus one seventy. So, very interesting fight. Huge fan of Drew Dober. I mean, how can you not be? I mean, the guy's given blood, sweat, and tears shed blood on that canvas i mean giving us some of the best fights we've seen he's got a highlight reel upon highlight reel of knockouts um i, I mean i can't say enough good things about drew dover i'm just such a fan of his and i had him on half the battle back in the day before he silenced alex hernandez and he just gave me a great interview i'm a huge fan i love drew dover um what's interesting about this fight is this kid rafael alves or rafael alves however it's pronounced he is a guy that paid his dues coming into the UFC. He's had his tough stretches. He's been through the ups and downs of the sport. And I think that now with all the experience he has under his belt, now he's ready to shine. And we see his first um, two UFC fights. And, I mean, he's fought stiff competition right off the bat. I mean, that fight with Damir Ismagulov, I mean, he was like a plus 500 underdog, and he unanimously won the third round. He even scored a knockdown on Demir Ismagulov. And let, let me know the last guy that scored a knockdown on Demir. You know what I'm saying? Um, so a couple adjustments, and th this guy could be a problem because he's got crazy athleticism, crazy explosiveness. Like This is like he's like the lightweight Michelle Pereira in, in a sense. Um, like, you know, the dude that's going to be doing 10 backflips on the walk and we'll just go for crazy unorthodox moves and can get away with things because of his athleticism, but don't sleep on some of his techniques either. You know, you know, I'm a huge fan of the guillotine. This guy's got a nasty guillotine. I'm not just talking about that. Um, Mark Jacasey fight where he ran at him with a big flying knee rocked and got him to take a panic shot and then got him with the guillotine. I'm talking about go back to his regional scene. He's been getting guys with that for a long time big power big explosiveness it's just 
when you're talking about a guy who throws a hundred percent into every shot and you're dealing with a guy who is as explosive as he is and fights the way he fights from time to time, not from time to time, but a lot of the time you're going to fatigue throwing shots like that. Even though he unanimously won that third round against Demir, which one does not simply do. So here's my thing. Drew Dober, we know what he brings to the table. He's durable. He's tough. That Muay Thai background. I mean, the leg kicks, the left hook, the big punches, the knees, the elbows. The takedown defense is beginning a bit better, too. The get-up game is on. Like, I love everything about Drew Dober. But you saw that last fight against Terrence McKinney. I don't want to sit here and say shit like, his chin is starting to go. But what I will say, you know, he's been in a lot of wars and he's got that block chin. You know, he can take a shot. It's just that, you know, we did see him get dropped and really badly hurt against Terrence McKinney. But Terrence McKinney is historically a first round or bust fighter. I think that if Rafael Alves gets into similar spots, he can close the show differently. He's not going to just blow his load with just, you know, unnecessary shots. I think it's more so he can get Drew Dober to shoot a sloppy shot. And if he gets Drew Dober in his guillotine, I think the fight might be over shortly after. So, yeah, could I see Drew Dober surviving a big first round and then Drew Dober taking over and just showing that vet savvy and, you know, skill for skill, I would say Dober, you know, is better. It's just that Rafael's got those intangibles with the kind of athlete he is, the kind of gives no fucks attitude he has when he goes in there and attacks his opponents not to mention he's very experienced so to me i actually took a one unit shot on rafael alves at plus 200 so i already beat the line by just depends where you look some places half a dollar some places 40 cents so i feel like i did my job in that aspect now we're just going to let them go out there and fight like at, at the very least i think it's going to be an honest serious true fight like i don't think it's just going to be drew dober just comes out here and starches him right away if he does starch him i think he's going to have to go through some shit first so i i'm banking on rafael alves to come out here and you know put it on drew dober but not make those rookie mistakes that terrence mckinney made and blow his load right away. Like we're dealing with a guy in Alves. How, how many pro fights? I mentioned it earlier. Alves has 30 pro fights. You, you, under, you understand what I'm saying? Where it's not like Terrence McKinney who's like what? Like 10 and 3 or some shit, you know? Like we're dealing with a guy with 30 pro fights who's experienced, who's paid his dues. So I think he's going to pick his spots uh, properly. As long as he just doesn't get into like a, you know, a technical Muay Thai battle with with dober not saying he can't catch him in one of those but that's where drew dober can accumulate those leg kicks start to go up top with that big left hook and start to really time him down the stretch but i think i'm expecting a, a early blitz from rafael alves and i think that i think he might be able to get drew dober to shoot and and get caught in that guillotine or maybe a flying knee maybe drop him and maybe actually finish him um i'm gonna go with rafael alves but it's a one unit bet you know because the respect I have for Dober, a lot of unknowns. This is a high variance fight. These guys run it back 10 times. You're seeing a different outcome every single time. So we just have to fully acknowledge that. But at plus 200, I was willing to take my uh, my, my shot because like, you got to understand, Rafael Alves has outperformed his price tag in both his UFC fights. Against Demir Ismagulov, he was like a plus 500 dog. It was a 29-28 uh, decision. Like, 
29 28 when you're a plus 500 dog like when you're a plus 500 dog man like i'm expecting like you're coming out here and just getting molly whopped and like for him to unanimously win the third round and to even drop demir like he outperformed his price tag the DeCasey fight, he was like a plus two something dog. And he went out there and you saw how DeCasey has been looking those last two fights, man. And you see how he's been bodying these guys. Well, he wasn't able to body Rafael Alves. Rafael Alves bodied him. So I'm just saying he's been outperforming his price tag in both his UFC fights. And I think, uh, or I hope, just not because I want to see Dober lose. I, I love Dober. I'm a huge fan. All the respect for him, you know. If you're not a Dober fan, like I'm not, you're not my friend. You understand what I'm saying? Like nicest guy, one of the most exciting fighting styles. Like how can you not love Dober? But this is just this is just a money game. I mean, like last week when I bet on Jason Jackson to beat Douglas Lima, y'all know Douglas Lima is a hero where I'm from in Atlanta. You know I've met the Lima brothers many many times throughout you know throughout the scene here and this and that. We're very we're very friendly, but money and friends emotions whatever you 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 cut that shit out no biases so that's why i bet jason jackson so yeah um as much as i love dober as much as i'm a fan i'm gonna i'm gonna take a one unit shot on or i i did take a one unit shot on rafael alvis at plus 200 so let's see what happens <sighs> now this one i know you guys are very excited to, to hear me talk about Next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Dante Mays. He's nine and four, welcoming Hamdi Abdelwahab, representing Egypt, who is three and zero. Oh. And currently, they got it. Dante Mays minus one eighty. The comeback on Hamdi Abdelwahab is plus one fifty five. So, all right, a lot to talk about here. Who do you want me to start with, uh, Dante or with? Uh, or with Hamdi. Let's start with Dante. To go from the lows that this guy went from, I mean, losing to Alan Crowder does not get much worse than that. And to take it a step further, he lost a second time that night because Snoop Dogg, remember the Snoop cast? Snoop Dogg said that Dante Mays, Dante, Dante Mays wasn't invited to the barbecue. And, and if, if you're from where I'm from here in the South, you know that... Uh, those aren't words that make you feel particularly good. And I, I bet that he did not like hearing that. I bet that that was something he didn't live down for a long time. I bet his homeboys were giving him mad shit about that. And not just losing to Alan Crowder, which is a big no-no, but to, to say you're not invited to the barbecue by Snoop Dogg, holy shit. But this dude, Dante Mays, he picks himself back up, comes to Contender Series, comes back to contender series not just once but twice and really earns his UFC shot and then gets thrown to the wolves fights Cyril Gan like th these are the things you like to refer to as paying your dues loses his next fight to Nascimento a black belt in jiu-jitsu then he gets on on a nice little two-fight win streak he knows what it means to have a win streak in the ufc and you see his confidence is getting up there i mean now he now he's humping dudes faces uh inside the octagon y'all remember that josh parisian fight with the famous highlight so confidence is riding high and one thing i do like about don you know we, we mentioned the things we didn't like that you know he uh <laughs> he uh lost to alan crowder which is a big no-no and, and snoop dogg said he wasn't invited to, to the 
to the barbecue. But we're dealing with a heavyweight that's six foot six with an eighty-one inch reach, and he's got some solid techniques, man. It's just if you can kind of dial it in and know when to explode and when when to preserve the gas tank. And I feel like these last few fights, you know, just kind of round out his game a little bit. I feel like these last few fights have been a big step in the right direction. So, yeah, while I'm not saying, oh, Dante Mays, you know, champion 2023, you know, while I'm not saying any shit like that, well, what I am saying is at least he's leveling up, you know, at least he's getting better. At least he's putting in the work. And most importantly, he's paying his dues. So you you, got to respect that. Now with Hamdi, all right, so Hamdi, there's a lot to talk about with my boy Hamdi. Firstly, he made his pro debut in 2022, January 2022. He's not even been a professional fighter for over a year. Already a massive red flag. He's only 3-0 and as a pro. Another red flag. The three guys he's fought as, as, as a pro, he fought a 4-5 and five guy, a 3-3 three and three guy, and a 0-0 zero and zero guy. I mean, he basically fought the ice cream vendor. You you understand what I'm saying? And no disrespect to the ice cream vendor. I fucking love some ice cream. I'm just saying that, like, you know, every, everybody's got their role, right? You know, ice cream vendor takes care of, you know, the Oreo milkshake, but not getting into a and not getting into a fist fight on a Saturday night inside a steel cage. Come on now. So he has he's never, in my opinion, he's never been in a fight. And what I mean by that is, oh. What do you mean he's never been in a fight? Look at his record. I can mention three fights he's been in. Yeah, he's been in three utter mismatches against guys that don't have any business, not just in there with him, but in the cage, period. But he's never, his chin has never been touched. His takedowns have never been stuffed. And the reason I brought the takedowns is because this guy is an Egyptian Olympian wrestler. Now, I know it sounds amazing to be an Olympian, and it is. I mean, I'll, I'll do respect. Now, one of my friends that I train jiu-jitsu with every single day is a D1 All-American. And and he's not just a D1 All-American. He's also like a wrestling fanatic. So I texted him. I'm going to read you what he said to me. I texted him because whenever I need to know something about a wrestler, this is my go-to. Like I said, D1 All-American uh, was like in the same bracket as Jordan Burroughs. Like, like my boy is like an elite, elite wrestler that I train uh, with in, in my jiu-jitsu class. So I, I, I text my boy, I said, and this is what I said. I said, there's a dude making his UFC debut this weekend that's an Olympic wrestler from Egypt. Where does Egypt stack up compared to U.S. wrestlers? That was my first question. So he responds, Russia, U.S., Iran are head and shoulders above everyone else. Egypt, uh, then there's a significant drop-off. Egypt is not very good. So I responded and I said, so would you say an Egyptian Olympian is equivalent to like a D3 wrestler or like an NAIA wrestler or, or what? He, and he said, I don't even know if they had anyone qualify for the Olympics, honestly. So then I was like, well, no, his name is Hamdi Abdelwahab. Uh, look, look him up. So he looked him up. So he said, okay, that makes sense. He qualified in Greco in 2016 and went 0-1. And Greco is a different animal, more like judo than what we think of wrestling over here. You can't touch the lower body. So we're, we're, we're saying no single legs, no double legs. 
I am sure he is mentally very tough, but not sure how well a Greco background translates to MMA. The U.S. is terrible at Greco. I don't think we have had a champ since Rulon or uh, on Sydney. Now, I know there's been some exceptions. I know that Randy Couture got a Greco background. I know that John Jones has a Greco background, but, you know, that's over over here in the States, just saying. But bottom line, I'm not going to discredit this guy's Olympic background. All I'm just saying is when people sit here and act like that's the same as, like, what, what's the name of the kid that's on Contender Series, uh, the, re, the American stud wrestler, uh, Bo Nickel? Yeah, it, it's not like that guy, you know, getting an opportunity, as far as I can tell. So even though Dante Mays might not be the stiffest test for UFC heavyweight terms, it's by far the stiffest test that this guy's ever fought because, like I said, this guy's never actually been in a fight. So we don't really know shit about him. So to me, it's just kind of like I understand the action coming in on Mays. Now, again, I missed the line on Mays, and I'm not particularly high on Mays. So, and since we don't know, we don't know much about Hamdi. Like, yes, we know he hasn't fought shit. We know he's never been tested. We know all that. We also know that Egyptian Olympians is not the same as American or Russian or Iranian Olympians. But maybe he's good anyways. Maybe despite all that, maybe he's just this phenom we don't even know about. So there's a lot of unknowns. But Dante Mays paid his dues. Dante Mays had to go through Contender Series three times. Dante Mays had to be in there with Cyril Gan. Uh, this kid, I would have liked to see Hamdi, you know, go to LFA, go to Contender Series, and then get that UFC opportunity because he's never been in a fight before. Fighting the the snow cone vendor, the the snow cone vendor is not being in a fight. So. Oh, yeah. Someone said why they bring him in the UFC. They brought him in because Justin Taffa pulled out of the Dante Mays fight. So they needed a short notice heavyweight to step up and take the fight. So they found this guy. So made his debut, made his pro debut in 2022. He's fought three guys that, you know, aren't even fighters. Like, I. I got to go Dante Mays. Now, would it, the reason that I'm not sitting here saying it's this big bet is because, one, I missed the line, and, two, because Dante Mays isn't exactly the cream of the crop. But you don't have to be the cream of the crop to beat someone with, that's only been fighting pro for, what, six, seven months? So, yeah, I got to go Dante Mays on principle. Nothing would surprise me. Like, let's say this kid just turns out to be some phenom, but th that's all a guess. But what I do know is that paying your dues and experience counts for a lot in this game. And if there's one thing we can give Dante credit for, besides being pretty athletic and besides, like, you know, starting to get a little more comfortable in there, knows what it means to have a win streak inside the UFC, he's paid his dues. So for that reason, I'm going to go Dante Mays to win this fight. And if you all get a chance, you should see some of the guys that Hamdi was out there beating. It's something else. Y'all do me a favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. After this video is over, um, leave me a comment. You know, tweet out that you enjoy this video. If only, only if you genuinely enjoyed it. You know, if you didn't enjoy it or you didn't get much out of it, then don't do that. But if you actually, like, really fucked with today's episode, you're enjoying what you're seeing, then do me that favor, man. Because, again... 
it's just me and it's just you. So let's grow this channel. So I really appreciate y'all helping me out with that. Now, oh shit, I skipped a fight. Next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Alex Morano. He's 21 and 7, taking on Matt uh, Semi the Jedi Semmelsberger, who's 10 and 3. Currently, they got it. Matt Semmelsberger minus 150. The comeback on Alex Morano is plus 130. Full disclosure. I am fucking terrible at picking Alex Morano fights. I bet him um, against Jordan Meehan, and he got embarrassed. And then I bet Keenan Song, I think in China, to beat uh, Alex Morano and then lost that. So I, I can't pick an Alex Morano fight. But I can break him down. I mean, he's not the most athletic guy, but, like, the guy brings it, man. The guy swings big bungalows, black belt in jiu-jitsu, even though he doesn't use it that often, and he comes to fight. It's just, you know, the, the physicality is sometimes, you know, it, it's just not quite there, you know, on, on the standard of, you know, some other guys like Chaos Williams or even a Semmelsberger. Um, And then sometimes I see him fatigue a lot in these fights, and the chin has been uh, tested uh, quite a few times. Um, so here's my only issue. Semi the Jedi Semmelsberger, I think his finished product for sure beats Murano. It's just that he's still in his phase of paying his dues. He's still in his phase. You know, he had a very tough fight against a newcomer last time. Uh, I was surprised about that. But then you see him go three rounds with Chaos Williams, and even though he clearly lost the fight, like he gave a very good account of himself. So I think he's in the process of paying his dues. Um, it's a tough one. Like I understand people taking the shot on Murano for the sole fact that he has paid his dues. He's been in there with much better level competition. He will push the pace. And if Semmelsberger starts to show any kind of rookie fatigue, any kind of rookie mistakes in there, that's where a guy like Murano could capitalize. But I, I actually do see this being a dog or pass situation because I think unless someone gets knocked out, it's going to be a tooth and nail three-round fight. I slightly lean Semmelsberger with, you know, just a, a bit more athletic, a bit bigger, a bit more of a power edge. But you can't I, – I suck at picking Murano fights, and um, sometimes he'll surprise you, and he is a dog, man. So, yeah, so I, I lean Semmelsberger, no bet. We'll see what happens. Uh, Murano is not someone you, you you necessarily want to count out. Damn, there's a lot of fucking fights left. Holy shit, let's see. All right, five fights left. So, damn, we've been going an hour 17, man. You know, time flies when you're having fun. I appreciate y'all being here with me. Um, Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Drakkar Close. He's 12... And two, taking on Rafa Gifted Garcia, who was 14 and two, representing Mexico. And currently, even though he fights out of Colorado, and currently they got it Drakar close minus 205. The comeback on Rafa Garcia is plus 175. You know, here's the issue with the price. The issue with the price is that most Drakar close fights, besides the last one when he treated that kid accordingly, they're mostly, no pun intended, very close fights. Um, usually 29, 28, usually one to one heading in that third round. So in, you know, from speaking from that sense, I think that this kid, Rafa Garcia is a tough Mexican warrior. Oh my God. My dude saying microphone issues. Are you fucking kidding me right now? 
Oh, he said lies. Yo, bro, you're getting fucking mute. You're getting uh on timeout for fucking saying some shit like that, bro. Don't don't even be trying me on that bullshit, bro. I'm not gonna block you, but I'm gonna put you in a five minute timeout. Go put the fucking cone on your head and think about what you've done. Now, back to this. Um Okay, Drakar and Rafa. So one thing I want to say about Rafa is that uh, in that fight, there's a misconception that uh, there's a misconception that his cardio ain't the best. Now let let me let me make an excuse for him. In that Gritzmacher fight, one thing that I've always been talking about with Gritzmacher is that he's the kind of guy that. Like it's kind of, you know, a punching bag at times, but dudes gas themselves out trying to finish him. They hurt him. They rock him. They try to, you know, they blow the load. And that's where Gritzmacher is able to come back and fight. So that's kind of what I thought happened in the Rafa Garcia Gritzmacher fight. I got, I don't think it was a, a conditioning issue. I mean, this guy's out here training in Colorado, you know, in the elevation, you know, and, and he's a Mexican warrior. You know, he can push. I think he just got uh, got carried away and made a young mistake. Just, you know, he thought he had the finish there, emptied the tank, and, you know, unfortunately uh, didn't get him out of there, and then he fatigued as a result. But he's bounced back nicely since then. But with Drakkar close, again, even though it might not be the prettiest, even though he's minus 200 and the fights tend to, no pun intended, be super close, he just finds a way to win these fights, whether it's, accumulation of the calf kicks whether it's that last minute takedown that seals the deal it just always seems to be that one-to-one going in that third round and he figures out a way how to edge it out so i think he figures out a way how to edge it out here too it's just minus 205 is not the price of someone edging it out minus 205 i need i need a little more dominance so i don't know if i want to call it dog or pass i think i would just call it a pass Unless y'all got a strong lean, like again, you know, I've been wrong many times. I'll be wrong many times again, and you got to understand that just because you listen to me doesn't mean that I'm the be all end all. All it means is that maybe you can find some entertainment from what I say, and maybe you can find some info you won't find somewhere else. But at the end of the day, you got to trust your gut. So do what you got to do. But I'm I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna go Drakkar close to win another 29-28 decision. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Michael Morales. He's 13-0, the second-ever fighter from Ecuador, right behind Marlon Chito Vera. And he's taking on Adam Fuckett, excuse me, Adam Fugit, who's 8-2. and two. And currently, they got it. Michael Morales, minus 600. The comeback on Adam Fugit is plus 450. So, yeah, obviously I wish Michael wasn't minus 600 here because then I'd bet it if he wasn't. But the thing about it is this. Uh, Michael Morales, very, very talented prospect. The wrestling is on point. Knockout power, very tough. We've seen him overcome some bad spots. Young, he's got the body, he's got the size. Like I like everything about this kid, Michael Morales, as a young. How old is this kid? As a young 23-year-old prospect, the kid's a stud. 79-inch reach, six foot tall, can overcome adversity, can wrestle, can punch, can do it all. Like I, I like uh I like everything about Michael Morales as a young prospect. My only issue with young prospects, you know, his last fight, 
against Trevin Giles. He got his 50K bonus. You give a 23-year-old kid a 50K bonus who's never seen that kind of money in his life, um, we just got to make sure he's still got his head on straight. We got to make sure because I see now, you know, his whole body's covered in tattoos. He's been blowing that money. Um, he's just got to stay focused. If we can keep this kid, Michael Morales, on on track, he's he's a force, He's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And with Adam Fugit, look, I respect him. You know, he's decently well-rounded. He's been through some ups and downs, you know, got 10 fights under his belt, this and that. But, like, dude, he is way too slow for Michael Morales. And I've seen him get launched before. I've also seen him, you know, mixing his wrestling. He's got decent Muay Thai. It's just the speed and athleticism difference here is massive, man. Morales is so much faster. Um, I mean, sometimes... Fugit can kind of be a bit crafty in there because he's got to make up for the fact that he's not the most athletic guy. He's not the fastest guy. So he's got to be smart. He's got to make up for it somehow. But I really think, I mean, I don't, I don't have to sit here and talk about it forever. He's minus 600 for a reason. I, I think the line is justified. So yeah, I'm going to go Michael Morales. And, and I think he, as long as Michael Morales hasn't, you know, been bringing girls into his uh, hotel room during fight week and skipping training sessions and, you know, doing the whole bit, you know, as long as, you know, first 50 K bonus for a 23 year old, that's never seen money like that. Like I've seen this story many times before <laughs> you under, you understand what I'm saying? So, Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Michael Morales by by knockout here. Now, next up in the bantamweight division, we got Ji Yeon Kim representing South Korea. She's nine and five, taking on Jocelyn Edwards, who's eleven and four, representing Panama. I expect this to be a very exciting three round stand up fight, and that's usually what you can expect from Ji Yeon Kim. Um, my issue with Ji Yeon Kim is that not only is she very hittable, but for someone that has the kind of reach that she has, let, let, let's just put this in perspective, guys. Gian Kim has a 72-inch reach. You want to know something? Gian Kim has a longer reach than Max Holloway. Bet y'all didn't know that. So for someone with that reach, I want to see them use that reach effectively. And, man, the chin straight up in the air, she's there to be hit. And Jocelyn Edwards, we know the takedown defense ain't exactly the bet the best, but she's got some size too. She's five eight with a seventy inch reach. Like you love to see it, man. You love to see it. So says they're fighting at bantamweight. Anyone confirm with me that's the proper weight class? Either way. So someone says she got robbed against Priscilla. Like I understand your point, but again, with Gian Kim, with as many shots as she takes, that's what's going to cost her a lot of these fights. So. I lean. Uh, I never even said what the odds were. My bad, y'all. Lot the odds are Jocelyn minus one thirty, Gian Kim plus one ten. It opened minus one fifty, Gian Kim. I lean more towards the opener. You know, I think she's a bit more experienced. I think she's fought better level of competition. But, but, in a fight like this where Gian's as hittable as she is, and they're gonna both stand, they're gonna both uh, play to each other's strengths. We could be looking at a split decision, and if it is a split decision, that's a dog or pass situation. Like how many times, which Gian Kim is the dog, um, it's just how many times have you been burnt betting Gian Kim, right? I haven't. I, I don't bet on any of her fights. I almost max bet her against Melinda Fabian, like thinking that was like one of the easiest fights ever, and it still was a split decision. So 
I expect an exciting three round striking match. I'm 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 gonna go with uh with Gian Kim to get back on track. Now, next up in the 205 pound division, this is interesting. We got Nikolai Negumeriano, who's 12 and one, representing Romania. Let me just double check that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Romania. <laughs> Y'all know my dad was born in Romania. You know what I'm saying? Taking on Ihor Potieria, who's 20 and two, representing Ukraine. 20 and two seems like a really nice record, right? Right. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. Currently, they got it. Ihor Potieria minus 125. The comeback on Nikolai Negumeriano is plus 105. So, all right. Who should we talk about first? Nikolai Negumeriano. Okay. So, he's a guy where he only fought cans on his regional scene, but comes into the UFC. I know the first fight he got dog walked, but since then, you know, he's been teaching some young kids some valuable lessons. And he's one of these guys that. You know, it might not have the best technique, might not look the prettiest, might leave that chin straight up in the air, might get hit a lot, but he fights with a lot of spirit. He fights with a lot of golly, fights with a lot of balls. He's a, he's a guy that he smiles when he gets hit, and then he charges you, and he's going to give it his best. That that much we know. Like, like, again, he might not be the most athletically gifted. He might not be this big KO artist, might only mix in the occasional takedown or two, but... um. He's someone that's going to give max effort. So for a dog, which he is in the spot, that's going to go for it and does have some UFC experience, those are some things going for him. Now with Ihor, oh, oh, and I want to say Nick Nagumariano is training at Extreme Couture in Vegas for this fight. Let me just mention that. Ihor Potieria from the Ukraine, um, he's training out of ATT in uh, the States. So both of them made a lot of sacrifices. So you got to at least like he's doing his best to level up. Now, let's talk about this record. So a lot to mention about this record. You see a record that's 20 and two. Holy shit, that looks amazing, right? But you look deep into it. Let's talk about the fight right before Contender Series. So he fought this dude named Georgi Kuba Jeshvili. Now, Georgi Kuba Jeshvili... <laughs> Excuse my pronunciation. He's a five foot nine heavyweight. This dude is fat as shit. He's on a one, two, three, four, five, six fight losing streak. He's lost eight of his last nine fights. Now, it sounds bad enough that that was his that that was his opponent before his UFC debut. Let's take it a step further. So this dude that's lost eight of his last nine fights, who's a five nine heavyweight, who's fat. This dude dropped Ihor Potreria, and he followed him to the ground, and Ihor caught him in a triangle choke. Like, you know, props for catching him, but, like, the fact that that fat ass dropped him, like, come on, come on, son. Like, that shit don't fly. Take it a step further. He's only fought three guys with winning records. A guy that's and one of those guys with the winning records is the fat guy that dropped him the fight before his UFC debut. Prior to that, it was 0 and 2, 0 and 4, 0 and 3. And, and and when I bring that up, it's not like he fought those guys when he was 1 and 0, when he was 2 and 0. Okay, let's get some experience. I'm saying this dude was 16 and 2 fighting 0 and 2 guys. This guy was 15 and 2 fighting 0 and 4 guys. This guy was 13 and 2 fighting O and O, fighting debutantes. 
Now let's take it a step further. This guy made his pro debut in 2015. In 2019, he took an amateur fight, which already is like, wait, what? Huh? Huh? What? And he lost to a one and one guy who is currently four and one as a pro. Now, here in the States, once you go pro, you don't go back to amateurs. Like, that's it. You can't, like, amateur, no, what, we talking about practice? Like, we, it, once you're done with amateurs, you're done with amateurs forever, you go pro. This dude, because I, I asked my boy, um, one of the European reporters, and he said that over there, they're allowed to fight in amateurs back and forth to, you know, stay active. Okay, give him the benefit of the doubt for that. But like, you lost to a one and one guy in 2019, or in 2019 as a pro, you were already a 14 and two, 15 and two fighter. Like, dog, that's not cutting it. Now, at least to his credit, he's in the States. He's at ATT. He's got training partners like Tiago Majeta Santos and all these guys. So at least he's got that going for him. And at least I want to say he handled these cans accordingly, but like he got dropped by that fat guy, the fight right before his UFC debut. He was a big underdog on that contender series fight for a reason. Now, he definitely went out there and starts the guy. So you got you to give him credit for that. But I don't know. Another positive, he's only 26, so he's training with the right people, so he's got chance. He's got, you know, a chance to really level up. And at a kid that young, you're going to be seeing leaps every single time he fights. But I think that Negumariano, if that fat fuck could drop him, bro, I think that Nick Negumariano, look, he might not have that much power, but he's just got that that willingness and that that just he's fired up to fight. He wants to go in there and break you and push the pace on you. He's been in there with better competition. He knows what the UFC bright lights are are like. Not to mention, this ain't in the apex where everyone's quiet. This is in Dallas, Texas. So I'm going with uh I, I'm going with Nick Nagumariano to welcome this kid to the UFC. Look, I'm not sitting here saying that Ehor is gonna wash out or this or that. And I understand that this might be a good first test, but I was thinking, let's get Ehor in there with Hunt with Harry Huntsucker. Let's get Igor in there with, you know, something like that. Get his feet wet. Nick Gumariano has proven that again, he might not be the most athletic. It might not be the most aesthetically pleasing, but like at least the guy goes for it, balls to the wall, and has been in there with real guys like Kennedy. Kennedy is a real guy. Kennedy is six foot five. Nigerian who's been putting things together. You saw how he handled Roberson. <laughs> I know y'all saw that. Um, so I'm I'm a lean Nick Nagumariano, but I'm just pissed I missed the line. I had the chance for plus 145. Now he's plus 110. Now granted, I pick a guy and he's dog odds. Maybe I should take him anyways, but he is hittable. So though that's the issue I have. It's just if this turns into a deep waters type fight, that's where I can kind of see uh you know, Nick Nagumariano taking over down the stretch. All right. Last but not least, kicking off the prelims, we got a welterweight matchup between Orion Kose. He's seven and one, taking on Blood Diamond, who is three and one from Zimbabwe of all places. That's what's up. That's what's up. Have you all ever seen Coming to America with my boy uh, Eddie Murphy? Um, wasn't he the no, he was the he was the the prince of Zamunda. Excuse me, excuse me. Um, currently they got it 
Orion Kose minus one seventy five. The comeback on Blood Diamond is plus one fifty. So definitely Orion Kose should be favored just based off the MMA experience and all that. But like Orion Kose, we gotta understand both Kose brothers. You know that's also bottom of the barrel. No disrespect. Like again, when I talk like this, I know some guys gonna be like, "Oh, I'd like to see you go in there with them." It's like, nah, dude. I'm saying bottom of the barrel compared to the other guys on the UFC roster. Um, someone said FanDuel has Mike Mathitha as his opponent. Yeah, Mike Mathitha is Blood Diamond. Blood Diamond is his nickname. Um, and Dan Goldstein, I under I understood your your reference. O'Doyle rules, like, dude. You think I didn't watch a? You, you think I don't know about my Adam Sandler movies, my guy? Come on now, come on now. But um, back to this, like Orion Kose ain't the best. Both the Kose brothers have serious gas problems, and I, I don't mean the kind you you. <laughs> I, I I don't mean the kind you need the stool softener for. I mean the kind that you know past the first round they're huffing and puffing. You know they might need uh they not they might need some air. Uh, what's up, my boy? What's up, my boy Oscar? You see Oscar decide to join the the chat here. Um, so here's my only issue. So you saw how easy it was for Jeremiah Wells to take down Blood Diamond and just submit him right away. Yes, but Blood Di- uh Jeremiah Wells is actually like a what is he a Daniel Gracie black belt? Orion Kosi is no Daniel Gracie black belt. Okay. But for someone who's only three and one as, you know, a pro fighter, like making it to the UFC, it's like I was talking about with the other dude, like, come on, man. Like, like you need some experience on that regionals. Like I get your, I get your Izzy's boy. I understand that. But like, you got to pay your dues in this game, not the kickboxing game, this game. But if Orion Kose, who's not, I, I don't know him for his grappling wants to stand and bang not saying that he can't have success just saying that that's where it might be kind of interesting that's where i don't think it'll be as easy as it was for jermiah wells who jermiah wells is about to go on to some bigger fights like jermiah wells has explosive one punch knockout power and is a black belt in jiu-jitsu under a legit lineage so but i lean kose i'm just not trying to lay minus 175 on kose so kose is my pick but if they stand and bang it could get interesting all right, now I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Y'all do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, comment on this video after I after it's released. Um, retweet, share, all that stuff truly means a lot to me, and I really appreciate y'all so much. So I'm going to get to the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, but while I do that, y'all leave me some questions that you would like me to address on the show. My boy. Oscar's going off with the squeaky toy. You know, he always does it while I'm doing my podcast. He likes to he likes to put on a show for the fans, too. All right, so again, I'm going to go fight to watch, fighter to watch, and y'all, uh, y'all leave me some questions in the meantime. All right, so fight to watch for UFC 277. That's not the, the main or co-main event. I mean, we got to go Drew Dober versus Rafael Alves. Y'all, let me know the last time Drew Dober was in a boring fight against someone that was willing to fight fight him not someone that wants to hump his leg not someone that wants to make it boring but someone that wants to stand and bang with him and let me tell you this right now guys rafael alves wants to stand and bang with him rafael alves wants to go out there flying knees the whole bit big explosive shots like drew dober versus rafael alves 
is going to be a 15-minute war or someone's going to take a canvas nap. And for that reason, I'm very pumped about that fight. That is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch, let's let's go with Sergei Pavlovich, man. This is the biggest opportunity of his career against the heavyweight knockout king. And Derek Lewis has a lot of pressure under him too. Derek Lewis, uh, you know, has not had the best results in Texas. And a loss here could be detrimental to any kind of hopes of, you know, reaching, you know, climbing that ladder again. And Sergey Pavlovich, uh, three back-to-back-to-back impressive victories after his uh, setback in his debut. He beats Black Beast. That's the biggest name of his career. And we're looking at, you know, only top opponents from there on out. So for that reason, um, yeah, Sergey Pavlovich is my fighter to watch. All right, y'all. Let me get to y'all's questions. Um, last call for questions, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of here. All right. So let me. Uh, Dominic said, "What reads did you get in the one minute of fighting of Aspinall and Blades? Uh, someone was gonna hit the deck. They were standing and banging until one uh, one man was about to fall. Well, one man did fall, but I'm saying they were standing and banging until one man was gonna fall to a chin shot. We just never got to see who it was gonna be. So it's too bad. But you know." That, that's the game injuries happen man you know uh i cashed on yair on an injury but not yair was looking yair was was uh you know piecing him up prior to that but still and if, if i would have told you going into the fight that only one guy is going to have a submission attempt and it's going to be yair not ortega y'all would have been like yeah shut shut your fucking mouth but uh yeah it's crazy to see all these injuries plus the rocket one a few months back um but my takeaway is they were standing and banging trying to see, uh, you know, they, they they were doing the dick measuring contest and they were going eyeball to eyeball, see who blinks first. And I'd love to see at some point run it back. Not not quite yet, but at some point down the line. All right. Beer Money said, do you have any betting liens you're monitoring outside of the three bets you've already placed? Um, I mean, like I looked at Murano and, uh, and Nikolai Nagumariano, but I just... I, I just couldn't quite pull the trigger yet. Maybe the lines get better. You know, I, it's like I missed the line. I I would think when I missed the line, especially by that much on on Nikolai, I'm I'm good passing. I have no issues passing, man. I mean, to me, it's obviously the money management, the discipline, but getting the best of the line is a very very important thing. It could be the difference between being a winning better and a losing better. It could be the difference between having a winning night and a losing night. So, getting the best of the line is one of the most important things for me. Big Mark said, who is a podcaster you enjoy listening to breakdown? Please don't say MMA Twitter's biggest degenerates. We all know who I'm talking about. He is just entertaining but can't bet for shit. I'm not sure who you're, I'm not sure who you're referring to. Um, I mean, like, dude, I, I'll be 100% honest with you, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to be cocky or to, you know, and, you know, I don't, I don't listen to anybody because I'm just more focused on what I think. I'm more focused on my reads. I'm more focused on... You know, what do I think is going to happen? I trust my gut. You know, uh, I feel like I have a good understanding of the sport. I mean, I train jujitsu every single day. I'm around fighters every single day, worked with fighters for a long time and just been around this game forever. So I, I, on, I only trust my reads. Whenever I start getting, you know, swayed by what other people are saying, that's when shit goes wrong. And it rarely happens. I, 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 I so yeah. Um, now, what podcasters do I have respect for? I think that there's a lot of great guys out here. You know, Clint's a good friend of mine. Um, I think Nicolikas 
is is fantastic um lock of the night's always been cool with me uh cody saftik's always been cool with me andrew gombas has always been cool with me I, I met andrew gombas in florida really really cool guy uh lags the capper um i met him in florida too he's a really nice guy um and again when i say that i don't listen to any other podcast it's not because i think i'm better it's not because this it's more so that at the end of the day they're not placing bets for me i'm placing bets for myself so i just trust my reads and my reads only and it's better to be on an island than to you know start betting what everybody else is betting even if if some of these guys are really sharp um at the end of the day they're not making bets for me i'm making bets for myself so i just only trust the way i view the fight through my lens everybody has their own style and i just trust myself so i don't listen to any other podcast but i have respect for a lot of the other podcasters that's for sure and i consider a lot of the i consider a lot of those guys my friends and i'm sure there's some i left off that i forgot about but you know if we interact and you know who you are if you're my boy you know oh will martin another really good one um so yeah i think that's the best answer i could have given you there all right let's see what else dominic said oh yeah you you're i already answered that um troy said thank you for the videos thank you for watching the videos uh um troy dan said great show i don't know if night train has already fought i saw you had one coming up no he lost the fight um but you know he's a friend of mine and i don't want it to sound like i'm throwing him under the bus but i was actually really pissed off about that i wasn't pissed off about the fact that he lost because if you're going to lose fair and square whatever i was just really pissed about his approach like dude You've gotten to this point where you've been fixing up the holes in your game. You've gotten to this point where you're one fight away from getting back into the UFC, and then you resort to your old ways where you're fighting cocky, you're fighting with your hands down, you're taunting again. Like, I thought we were past that. You know, I really did. So I was actually really pissed off about that because I think he beats Impa Kasangana. And that's not disrespecting Impa. Impa's a great opponent. It's just when you're in an MMA fight with four-ounce gloves and you're fighting a guy with your fucking hands down, don't cry if you get knocked out you know that's the bottom line so i think the last two wins he got his confidence up he got a bit ahead of himself and he paid the price but luckily for him he's only what 27 28 he's still just a kid so he still got time to pick himself back up but that was a big setback and i was very disappointed in that performance just the approach if they would if if he would have fought him smart and lost then it is what it is but when you're when you're disrespecting an opponent and you're fighting with your hands down and you're too cocky that when you're this close to your ufc opportunity again like bro like i I was very disappointed and i just say that because i love the guy like a brother if you if i didn't give a shit about him i wouldn't be talking like that so yeah very disappointing um let's see let me see what MMA locker rooms. And if you could corner one fighter on the card, who would it be on this card? Oh shit. I don't know, bro. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer for you there. Cause it's like Rafael Alves. If I had the joint, the, the controller, the video game controller for Rafael Alves, I'd love to control it on him so we can manage the gas tank and know the right times to explode. Um, I don't know. I feel like they all got good coaches. Sorry, that's a boring answer. So I, I just don't feel like it would be my place to do that, especially when I don't have that bond w- with 
I don't think any of the guys on this card. The only guy I've, I mean, I've met Amanda Nunes back in the day, and I've met some of these guys, but the only guy I've spoken to extensively is Drew Dober, and I actually have a bet against him. So, yeah, I just uh, would sit that one out and let the professionals do their job. Um, Capone said, what do I think about Chimaya versus Nate? I mean, it's going to be exciting. Like, yeah, it might be a mismatch, but, like, tell me that that fight week is not going to be hectic. Tell me that that press conference is not going to be insane. And then the fight itself should be violent, so I'm looking forward to it. Dan Goldstein says, Stoltzfus versus Pfeiffer. Do you think they run it back? Tough to say because Stoltzfus has a fight against uh, Abus Magomedov, who, shout out to my boy Lewis, put the guns down Taylor, who actually knocked out Magomedov um, for the million-dollar tournament in PFL. Um, and Lewis is actually Bilal's head coach now. So, hell yeah. Dan Goldstein also said, Dan, Le- Dan Levy, uh, uh, when are the Lady Killer floral print shirts coming back, brother? Bro, I have like 10 pairs of each of those. Like, I got I got a bunch of those. So don't, don't you worry about that. They're coming back. VT said, I just gained a new follower. I truly appreciate that, man. That means a lot, for real. Um, so... Yeah, for those that aren't new followers, subscribe, hit the like button, follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. It truly means a lot. Thank you guys. Um, okay, let me see. Any any more questions? Or Gorilla said, "When do you do tape?" So, I, so my my opinion on tape has has changed drastically. So I used to do something where like I'd watch entire careers and this and that, but I found like that was kind of a waste of time. I think that the best way to approach tape is like if there's like a newcomer coming in that you've never seen before, that's a good time to watch tape. Or for example, if you haven't seen someone fight in a while, you just need a refresher. That's a good time. Um, I definitely rewatched the Nunes and Pena fight just to just to see how it went down exactly, just to make sure I didn't miss anything. So yeah. Certain things you'll watch tape on, but other things, I feel like stats are huge, and I feel like you just gotta trust your understanding of of matchups and of how these fighters fight from all the years you've been watching them fight. So yeah, it helps when you know there's a newcomer and you've never seen them before. Then you definitely gotta watch a little bit. Um, but for these guys that you've been seeing fight for a while, you know, a fight or two won't hurt. But I don't think tape is the be-all, end-all. I think the most important thing is the, the odds. The number is the most important thing, getting the best of the line and uh, truly trying to assess the matchup itself. <laughs> he said, is it true you got the cane tattoo? Nah, dog. I actually don't got no tattoos. That surprises a lot of people. Um, Dominic said he took that kick from Randy but got KO'd by Impa. I mean, listen, bro. When you're fighting with your hands down and you're cocky and you feel like you beat the guy before the fight even starts, you're overlooking an opponent and you make a young mistake like that, shit happens. So he's got to go back to the drawing board and he's got to correct those mistakes. It is what it is. Um, Beer money, early thoughts on Islam versus Charles. Sorry to leave you hanging on this one, brother. I need need more time on that one because that is such an amazing fight. Such an amazing fight. Oh, my God. The scrambles, the stand-up exchanges. Like, I just cannot wait. My my early thoughts are, like, I cannot fucking wait on my early thoughts. And my other early thoughts are, I really hope that it gets to play out fair and square. No injuries, no fucking flukes, no bullshit. Like, let's see these guys scramble. Let's see these guys bang. Like, let's see a real fight. And I can't wait for it. Um, 
Capone said, what do I think is the best bet of the night? I mean, I don't know, but I bet three things. I bet uh, Pena plus 240, Alves plus 200, and uh, Pavlovich plus 100. I put one unit on each. So worst case scenario, I'll lose three units on the night. But I'm having a really good year, best year so far. Let's just keep it that way, knock on wood. Um, MMA Jesus says, you really think Nunez is going to come out throwing heavy, high volume, or do you think she conserves energy? I don't think the energy was the issue, man. I think that it was more so someone stood up to her. I think when you stand up to the bully, that discourages the bully. Um, but I think what Nunez needs to do is invest in those calf kicks and try to immobilize Juliana Pena and make her take a sloppy shot, maybe maybe submit her. Because when you get caught in a submission, yeah, there's not getting out of that. But if they go toe-to-toe, I mean, unless Amanda sleeps or the fact that someone's willing to stand up to the bully and is undeterred by the shots coming back at them, that's a big thing. So I don't think it was a thing of Nunez gassing. I think it was a thing of Nunez, you know, getting bewildered, getting broken, getting discouraged by the fact that someone wasn't impacted by the shots coming back at them. Someone said, damn, bro, you are really are an ugly looking guy. Um, here, I'm I'm gonna post the link to join the call, and I want to see what you look like. Fans, y'all, let me know who's better looking between the two of us. So, here in the chat is the link to join the call. So just click it. Let's go side by side, and the fans, y'all, let us know who's better looking. So, uh, whenever you're ready, buddy, come in here. Let let the fans determine who's better looking between us. Um. Seema says, do you think too many gamblers force bets on underdogs looking for big profit? Does it make you a bad novice gambler if you bet favorites often? No, nah, it's all about finding value, whether it's an underdog or a favorite. If you think if a favorite's minus 150, but you think he should be minus 250, that's value. If an underdog is plus 150, you think he should be minus 150, that's value, man. So don't worry about that. What you should worry about is trusting your gut, using proper money management, not betting more than you can afford to lose and having discipline and trusting your reads. <laughs> What's up, dude? Nah, man, I had to pop in, you know. I, hey, hey, I just had to social love to my man, man. Dan, Dan killing it out here. I ain't the troll in the comment or anything like that, but as you see, man, bog head gang, we running this thing, man. Y'all need to quit hating on the guy, man. We running this shit, man. Uh, you already know what time it is. He ain't, he ain't, he ain't really hating because I mean he's in here watching my video. So technically, uh, that's you know, we're doing things right, my man. You all Actually, good though? I'm all good, man. Just wanted to send you a little shout out though, man. Uh, like I said, man, I appreciate everything you've been doing and shit. You already know how we be talking about on some other things, but um, yeah, man, something that you said that it's out of my head. Trust your own reach. Trust your own guts. Don't listen to these other prediction people and let them lose your money because at the end of the day, they ain't paying your rent money. Damn right, you know? They, and they ain't paying mine either, so uh, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I feel you on that, and it's good to have you stop by, man. I wish you all the best. Go Braves. Yes, sir. Let's go, man. Hopefully he pops in, though. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. Uh, the link is in the chat, so if you, if you want to see uh, what's up, then show us. Uh, anything else uh, before I get out of here? <laughs> the 
This dude, Burner. Hey, Burner, the link's in the chat, buddy. So you want to join? Come join. Let's see what's up. Let's see. Let's see what you're looking like. All right. All right. I think that's it. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me on this very special edition of Half the Battle. I truly, truly, and sincerely appreciate you guys being here with me. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Um, share, comment, retweet, all those little things y'all do. Help me out big time. We got the prodigy coming in here to say what's up. What's up, prodigy? What's oh. up? Chilling, man. Yourself? How you doing? Yeah, I, I saw you post the link publicly. I, I thought I'd come in just say what's up. Yeah, what up, man? How you doing? Oh, shit. You got that BJ Penn Can Nick Diaz photo. You know, I, I was at that fight. That was the second UFC yeah. I ever attended. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big PJ, uh, BJ fan. Kind of the reason for the username, you know. Hey, you gotta uh, you gotta turn the camera back on, bro. I like I like to look people in the eyes when I talk to them. I I I prefer to keep my camera off, but yeah, I saw you post the link publicly. I it's something you don't usually do, so. <laughs> yeah, any anything you uh, you got Can for you the fans uh, before I get before I get you out of here. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say uh, two weeks from now, Vicente Luque minus 160 over uh, Jeff Neal. Great line right there. Um, yeah, that, that's something I'd really recommend for a few weeks in, from now. Interesting, because I was actually eyeing the opposite side. But when the when the time comes, we'll, uh, we'll get to it. I mean, I know Jeff is hit and miss, but Vicente just had a, a five-round fight where you got pushed, and I know it's easy to say, oh, he just got wrestled, but if you ask him, uh, he was hurting from those body kicks. Uh, that's that's the word on the street, but um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Vicente Luque, as powerful as they come, I'd say Vicente Luque is the more durable guy. Jeff Neal's the faster guy. I can't wait for the fight. I like the price on Jeff, but I'm not going to talk you off it just like you're not going to talk me off it. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I'm not Ben for you. Well, you're not, you're not Bilal, Ben for me. Below Isaiah, for sure. Bilal had a really good style, you know, that style works against Vicente, you know, take him down, hold him, something Bilal's really good at. I mean, Jeff can wrestle, but he's never really shown it in fights, so I, I really like Vicente, but yeah, that, that's better. Yes, sir. May the best man win, and Prodigy, I wish you the best, bro. Sure. Take care of yourself. Alright, so, if any of Anyone else want to come in here? The guy, the guy that was making those comments didn't want to come in here, though. I wonder why. I wonder why, man. But anyways, guys, thank you all so much for being here. Truly appreciate it. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe. Share, comment, retweet, all those things. I'll be back next week for the next card. Um, and also, I kind of actually liked having the fans on here. So maybe next time I'll post the link a little earlier, get some of y'all to come in here with me, talk, and we'll, we'll chop it up. You know, I love interacting. And... I'm looking um, to start uh, Twitter spaces just because I, I like interacting with you guys a lot more and I feel like that's a good way for us to interact more. So, you know, whatever I can do to do that, I'm always down. So thank you all so much. Truly, truly appreciate it. Subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.